time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. COVID-19 is the biggest health crisis in our lifetime. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals to stop it, but we need your help. Even if you don't feel sick, you could be carrying it. And just one person with the virus can infect another 40, who then infect thousands more. So I've issued an executive order requiring everyone to stay home to help limit the spread of the virus. Let's protect the people we love. Stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning and welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars. On the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. On the right, longtime Genesee County Republican, Henry Hatter. And last but not least, East Village Magazine editor, Jan Worth Nelson. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Morning, Henry. Morning, Jan. Good morning, Jan. Good morning, Henry. Good morning, Paul. Um, I always like to start out with a few quotes, and of course, uh, beginning um, first up with the uh, finish the quote segment. And uh, how would you finish this quote? I would not look to the U.S. Constitution if I were what? Dying. (laughs) <laughs> looking for justice <laughs> something like that. i don't know this is really interesting it's um yeah the original yeah. quote is i would not look to the u.s constitution if i were drafting a constitution in 2012 hmm. oh. oh that's interesting oh. Oh. Uh, <laughs> mitt romney <laughs> no, but that's an interesting guess. Um, no, it was actually Ruth Bader Ginsburg who said that. Oh, no kidding. Uh, I'll be there. That's interesting. I would uh, not have guessed that. I, I wouldn't have either. By that's, her demeanor. It was, it, I, I, I'd almost like to more hear, hear more about the context of when, when she said that. That's I, really interesting in a lot of ways. Yeah, I wish I had yeah. that information because yeah. I have the same, the same questions. Obviously, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has been all over the news uh, 
since last Friday when she passed away at age 87 and uh, the race to replace her has uh, really kind of overtaken uh, everything in the news. Um, how will she be remembered for her life of achievement and accomplishments or by the way in which she was replaced? Uh, I've been what watching this morning. Have you, did you guys have a chance to see the arrival of her casket at the Supreme Court? Yes, I, I just was. I was just watching that before before we started the program. Yeah, I saw saw much of that. Saw a little. Very very it. moving. Um, yeah. And the uh, the gravitas of it, the grace of it, is just really touching, uh, especially in these vulgar times. <laughs> um, and I guess I'm I'm offering that partly just out of the emotion of watching it myself, but also all these clerks, you know, 120 of her former clerks, I think, um, he had an immense effect on these young young people who worked for, uh, who, were, who many of which, whom will become heavy hitters of their own. Um, so I think uh, that in itself is a pretty powerful legacy that's going to be um, extending into the future. It you was know, very I think moving I, to see them all lined you, up there waiting for. Her. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think I think her 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 legal record, in terms particularly of the women's rights, is going to be the real legacy. I mean, that this controversy over the replacement is going to going to dominate the headlines for a while. But I'm just I'm just reading a book in fact this week called Sisters in Law, kind of a dual biography of Sandra Day O'Connor and Ruth Bader Ginsburg by Alinda Hirschman, and it's a fascinating book about the the cases that both of the that both of them took to the court over the years, and there's some real differences between them, obviously. Obviously, but a fascinating book about really how she really laid the groundwork in a legal sense before she got on the court for a great range of of women's rights. Well, she had a mistake about her that you nobody could overlook. Well, you know, she I not think only she's... Uh, did a great thing for women, but she did a great thing for minorities. That's true. And uh, her, her, the effect that she had on the court will be far-reaching for many, many years. You know, and I think she's the only. Go ahead, Henry. No, that. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think she's the only Supreme Court justice that I can think of who became kind of a pop icon. I mean, there are bobbleheads and T-shirts and you know bumper stickers and lots of other Ruth RBG stuff out there. And I, I cannot think of any other Supreme Court justice who's reached the same kind of. Uh, kind of cultural icon status as she has. You know, what really struck me this, this particular morning is she wasn't cynical. She wasn't corrupt. She no. wasn't, um, she wasn't uh, mean and, and, and uh, uh, demeaning and, um, you know, and petty. I mean, she was just profoundly intelligent. She really believed in the law. She believed in the American story. Um, she enlarged the American story, and these days it feels like everything is reduced to um, to um, attacks, counterattacks, pettiness. That's very that's not <clears throat> actually because it's life and death stuff that comes with it. So I mean that's that's one of the things that makes me feel really sad today is just the contrast between her incredible lack of cynicism, her belief in the in in the law. And what's happening nowadays? That's true. Let me uh, no, let me do this. 
let me let me squeeze in a couple of more quotes here um, because they're they're related. Um, here's one from Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Um, I am truly heartbroken at the news of Justice Ginsburg's passing. Her intellect, her razor-sharp wit, and her lifetime of service to our nation made her an inspiration to millions of Americans. I know there are a lot of women who are feeling worried right now about what this means for the future of our country. One thing I learned watching Justice Ginsburg's fearless battles with cancer and injustice is that you never give up and you never stop fighting for the values we hold dear as Americans. Hmm. Yeah, very, very And then, very and then the other, yeah. the other quote that's related is, it will be a woman, a very talented, very brilliant woman. <laughs> Donald Trump. And that was indeed. Um, yeah. Who's moving very quickly to uh, put up a, a nomination, or a nominee rather, uh, to replace Justice Ginsburg on the Supreme Court. And um, he has... Uh, virtually promised that it will be a woman uh, was there ever really a choice oh i don't know well, i mean she was so profound uh as you look around you only saw her images so you i think that american people wanted to replace her by her deeds and her image and her long-reaching um consequences of of what she stood for. And I think that all Americans believe that there was some substance there. And we will remember her because of that. Yeah, and and in line with what the quote that Tom read from forty five, um it, it's it this is it's so superficial, you know. It doesn't require a woman to carry on Ruth Bader Ginsburg's no. legacy, although, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just so superficial that we would automatically, that, you know, Trump would automatically say, oh, it's going to be another woman, she's going to be brilliant. He'll probably be saying she's the most brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> right, <laughs> of all time. Well, you yeah. can't replace her because she's her own person. You can yeah, have you in that, that position and make your own way, but you can't yeah. replace Ruth Ginsburg. Having just, said that, there, there has been a tradition on the Supreme Court for for, for most of a century for certain seats to be the uh, the Jewish seat, the African American seat, the woman's seat. Now it's gotten blurred over time, but there there is a a rough tradition of Supreme Court appointments that goes back quite a way to sort of assume that certain seats are likely to go to certain categories of people. But but I think I think you're right, Jan. I don't I mean I don't think it would take a woman to necessarily defend the same principles. Right. I mean, I mean, I hope. I guess I. I don't know if I do hope it's a woman. It depends who the woman is, obviously. You know, yes. uh, and I don't think uh, the fact that they're all signed uh, that uh, that the Republicans are all here. We go into the politics of it, but the fact that the Republicans are all signing on to this that they're going to vote for it, no matter who the person yes, is. Right. <laughs> Sign a blank check right here. Exactly. He is. And they're saying, yes, it's going to go through. I mean, what a subversion of the supposed process of advice and consent and deliberation. And, you know, I mean, Ted was just noting, my husband was just noting that Scalia got approved 96 to 3 when he came on to the Supreme Court. Oh, was it 100%? Yeah. Oh, Ginsburg got like 93 votes. I mean, but that was after a process where the the character of the Supreme Court was still 
honored, That's you know, true. by the Senate. Uh, I mean, the idea that everybody is saying, yeah, we're going to vote, all the Republican senators are saying, it's a done deal before they even know who the nominee is. It's just, ah, uh, drives me crazy. It's, you know, <laughs> yeah, there's, no, there's, no, there's no respect for the, for the idea of deliberation and hearing out who, this, who the person is. It's, I, I'm, just, I'm feeling very, very disgruntled about the whole thing and, and depressed because I think the process and the philosophy of the whole matter is just being overtaken by superficial but, politics. Well, one of the I things feel that's, the way you do, Dan, one but of the, I don't think it's just Republicans only. I think there's a mania in the country that's driving this whole process to madness. Well, and that's the... Um, the, the need for instant gratification. We're not seeing um, candidates put up that were the, the heavyweights of, of like a Ruth Bader Ginsburg or um, Antonin Scalia, where, you know, the, the people we're seeing now, the, the Kavanaugh's and the Gorsuch's, and, and even to, you know, to the same degree, um, Sotomayor and... Um, uh, I'm trying to think of the other. Uh, they're they're just not the legal heavyweights going in that they were no, in know, those nomination processes where it was nearly unanimous. Can I put this point in real quickly? I, I heard just yesterday, and, and the rest of you could have done, heard it as well. But Vice President Biden said, "Okay, if you go through with this, we're going to pack the court with Democrats yeah, for years to come." That was an ugly retaliation that doesn't bode for candor and, and, and uh, uh, good politics in the future with respect to the Green Supreme Court. Well, Mitch McConnell has set up a game of revenge that yeah. you know, has set up the possibility of games of revenge, which is not good for anything. That's true. Uh, but Mitch, That's McConnell, true. I, Mitch McConnell has pretty much uh, set up a very ugly um, a very ugly future for for the Supreme Court, and um, I I don't think I'm you know I'd have to think more about the packing of the court. Everything that I've heard from experts that I tend to listen to is that it's probably it would be a sad day for the Supreme Court if it starts going in that direction. Yeah, um, that's very very unlikely to be successful. I mean, Roosevelt tried it back in the 30s, even when he had his own party on his side, and it yes. blew up in his face. So I, I, even if it was tried, I don't think it will be in the end. We don't need that established. Anyway. We yeah, don't I need don't. that established by either Republicans or Democrats. We yeah. need to have some people with common sense to restore uh, this democracy uh, to its intended uh, consequences. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think it the 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 uh, proposal to stack the court or to pack the court. It's just a rep, it's just a sign of everything else not working, and instead of figuring out how to get it to work, it's just like coming up with another revenge game, and I I don't think that's good for anybody. Hey guys, we got to take a short break. We're going to get back into this conversation a little later in the program. Plus, we have uh, a caller on the line, but uh, we need to take a short break here. We'll be back with more armchair politics right after this. Don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse.
Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays at 11 for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. This is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. Sixties, the marches, the beans, the draft card burnings, and best of all, the music. Well, now Apple House has collected the finest of those songs on one album called Golden Protest, performed by the original artists who made them famous. You'll thrill to Society's Child by Janicean, Pleasant Valley Sunday by the Monkees, What Have They Done to the Rain by the Searchers, In the Ghetto by Elvis Presley, Silent Night, 7 O'Clock News by Simon and Garfunkel, and who can ever forget this all-time classic... Yes, it's Barry Maguire's immortal Eve of Destruction. And, of course, my own Masters of War, all for the incredibly low price of $3.95. And if you order now, you'll also receive a treasury of acid rock featuring vanilla fudge, blue chair, frigid pink, Moby Grape, the electric prunes, Jefferson Airplane, Lotharian hand people, to name but a few. Plus, as part of this special limited offer, you also get the best of the supergroups with Traffic, Cream, Blind Faith, Ginger Baker's Air Force, and many, many others. Yes, this is a collector's dream, cold in protest, plus two fabulous 60s albums, all for only $3.95. If you were to purchase these selections separately, they'd cost you hundreds of dollars, and many cannot be found anywhere at any price. Well... It's time for my boot heels to be wandering. But here's something will tell you how you can get this amazing record package. Here's how to order this amazing record package. Just send $3.95 and check your money order plus your name and address to Apple House Box 70K South Bend, Indiana. Once again, that's $3.95 and check your money to Apple House Box 70 Do it today. Tom Sumner. 
TomSumnerProgram.com The Tom Sumner Program.com This is Jill Stein, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is uh, Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program uh, with... uh, Jan Worth Nelson from East Village Magazine, joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Good to be here. Thank you. I, I want to move to... Yeah, some, nice. Go ahead, Jan. I'm sorry. No, I just said nice to be here. <laughs> um, I, 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 I want to move... We're going to get back to the uh, conversation about the passing of Justice Ginsburg and the process for nominating and uh, uh, approving uh, the the whole advising consent process uh, for her replacement um, a little later, but I want to get um, get moving on some local and state issues. And I, and I had a caller I was talking to during the break who wants to weigh in. Um, Bob from Davison is back, and uh, it's been a while since we've heard from him. So. Um, or I was going to say Bob from, I said Bob from Davison because that's where he lives now, but historically he was Bob from Grand Blank. Um, but the, uh, uh, I, I guess where I want to go next is what could the $600 million partial settlement for victims of the water crisis really mean to the people of Flint? Families have been left pondering this question as they wait for details to emerge on the potential payout, many families have already had to foot the bill for health care expenses accrued after they were poisoned by the water. Some have children who will forever live with the effects of lead poisoning. Some have seen their friends and neighbors die of Legionnaire's disease before the settlement ever seemed possible. The $600 million settlement hasn't yet been filed in the U.S. District Court. A summary of the proposed deal says it will provide a claims process that allows payment to children without proof of personal injury. Larger amounts of compensation would go to children whose parents or guardians can show personal injuries, elevated blood or bone lead levels, or that their children lived in homes with lead service lines. Adults in Flint exposed to city water could be eligible to recover compensation with proof of personal injury, according to the summary document. But Flint families say the issue goes deeper than a one-time payout. Money won't fix the damage that's already been done. If money can't fix the problem, what can? Mm, nothing. Well, uh, repairing it for the future can't agree. But, I mean, the, the, the fact is that for these kind of damages, you're, you're right, money can fix it. I recall after 9-11 there was the... Uh, forgotten the title the fellow had, but he, he was the, the adjudicator who, who decided payments for those killed in the 9-11 attack. And, and of course, obviously, the, the money doesn't take back, bring back someone's life, but it's a way of, of bringing some partial justice to those situations. And that's probably true here, I guess, as well. It's, it's not going to resolve the whole thing. It's not going to make things right. But it's probably better than doing nothing. Oh, I mean, yeah, you know... It's good that there's going to be some money, uh, but yeah, Henry, I, I cut you off. Go ahead. No, I I used to be kind of resistant and skeptical about all of this because there were people who were using the system, I believe. But for all of those kids who were damaged by that due to the fault of the governor or the city council or uh, the people who worked in the water purveyor system, 
they deserve uh, to have some accountability. Uh, for those people who were actually injured, they should be served. They should mm -hmm. be well taken care of. But for the people who are using that as a waterfall to get another check out of the government, I am against. And, and, there, and that exists. Many times these opportunities come around, they dampen the fact that people who are willing to cooperate with them and, and give the people who actually were injured justice. And uh, I'd say, now we don't know how many people were killed or injured by, uh, say, Legionnaire's disease, or, by the, uh, or to what degree they were damaged by lead, lead poisoning. But we know right. everything about COVID. We need to get those numbers wetted down the way COVID has it wetted down, so there won't be so much guesswork. Well, and hey, at this will... at this point, I want to bring in. Uh, we've we've got a caller. It's uh, uh, Bob from uh, Davison, formerly of Grand Blank, <laughs> joining <laughs> joining us by phone. Hey, Bob, did you had a, a comment or question that you wanted to pose for the uh, panel? Well, good morning, everyone, and hopefully everybody is doing well. The question was asked just a minute or two ago, uh, if the $600 million is not going to repair the damage that Flint has uh, uh, incurred from the, uh, the water crisis, if that doesn't get the job done, what will get the job done in setting Flint back on its feet? And here's my, uh, here's my opinion, and Tom, you and I have talked about this going back to the emergency manager law, which I have no doubt many people on the panel will disagree with. When Flint starts to act responsibly, when you start to put responsible people, knowledgeable people about municipalities, good governance on the Flint City Council and in the mayor's office, when people have a vision, a direction, and they transmit that vision and the direction that they want to take Flint to the community and start turn, turning Flint around, that's when things will get better, when Flint can sustain itself. Now, don't get me wrong, everyone. Government has its place. I understand that. I'm not anti-government. But the whole point of the matter is when you run for office, you're telling people this is what you want to do. My only complaint has always been this, whether it's Flint or any other community that is undergoing challenges like this and that people who haven't stepped up to the plate, what they've said on the campaign trail, unfortunately, hasn't translated to once they're in office. We need good governance People with a vision who, who want to implement that vision and explain that vision to the people of the city of Flint so that they can turn Flint around and start building it back into the community that it used to be. Certainly, we're not going to do it with General Motors. I'm saying this. Flint needs to sustain its own, its, its own affairs with responsible, knowledgeable, educated people who have a vision. That's, that's my comment for anybody who wants to respond. And thanks, Tom, for taking my call. Well, Bob, thanks for uh, for weighing in, and uh, welcome back. Thanks, and I, I Thank hope you. you'll uh, you'll jump in uh, again later. I will. Yeah, thanks, like Tom. To, I'd like to respond. Thank you, Bob, for those comments and for calling in. Um, I, despite what you said, I, I I pretty much agree with everything you're saying. The other panelists will remember my stories about how when I first started covering the Flint City Council or writing about it, or editing stories about it in the past six years. Um, I, the first city council meeting that I went to, I came home and I started crying. <laughs> and I said to my husband, it's like, it's, an, it's, it's lunacy. And how can, how can anybody, how can a democracy function 
with this kind of incompetence, you know, and and yeah. and, and craziness. Um, and it, it doesn't. It's not a. It's not a comment about party affiliations or race or anything like that. It has to do with just incompetent ways of going about municipal business. So I. I, I really agree with you, Bob, and I. It's it's one of those uh, exasperating and frustrating and and uh, serious. I think very serious aspects of how can a city be run if the government is so poorly handled. I and I take up on Jan's comment saying, unfortunately, as the city resources have declined, so has the competence of the council. I mean, if we had unlimited resources and we're rolling in money. Maybe we could survive that kind of foolishness, but under these conditions, you really need someone who is very comp- competent and willing yeah. to make tough decisions. When, they, as we've seen, these dramatic decline in resources and population. Yeah, I agree. And as you know, this has been my perception all the times that I've been talking on this issue: the lack of competence in good positions there. And Bob, you can be from Grand Bank or Davidson, but you're welcome to Clio. <laughs> well put, well put, Henry. Hey, on a re- on a yeah. related note, the city has failed to test enough valid water samples for lead and copper levels in the first half of this year. The third such violation of the Safe Drinking uh, Water Act since 2019. The Michigan Department of uh, Environment, Great Lakes, and Energy issued the. Uh, violation notice which much must be reported to water customers in a uh, September 17th letter and reported to the city that 90% of 49 valid sites that were tested were at or below four parts per billion of lead well below the federal action threshold of 15 ppb. Flint was required to collect 60 water samples from Tier 1 sites during the first six months of this year, but failed to do so despite deadline extensions granted by the state. The state has discussed allowing the city to replace some of those Tier 1 sites, homes with lead service lines, with Tier 2 sites, such as apartment buildings with lead solder, plumbing, uh, lead pipes, or lead service lines, if officials cannot locate enough higher risk homes to sample in the uh, future partly because the city is in the first phase of excavating and replacing all lead and galvanized steel service lines throughout the city Uh, in a quote uh, eagle recognizes the city put forth a significant effort despite the significant challenge posed by the covid 19 pandemic said eric j oswald director of the department's drinking water and environmental health division in the september 7th letter or 17th letter to city administrator clyde edwards this effort included utilizing firefighters to conduct community outreach in order to obtain additional samples as well as the establishment of a team of health navigators dedicated to providing additional outreach to residents should the city be given a waiver on this testing because of the pandemic Oh man, you know. No. Oh no. lord. I mean, you know, all the way through the water crisis, <laughs> the worst part, one of the worst parts, not the worst, but one of the worst parts of it is just the deterioration, the corrosion of trust uh in government. And mm-hmm. you can't I mean, that what what we drink, the water that we drink is even more important during the 
pandemic. I mean, um, it's just it's very exasperating. I I personally feel like that stuff. If you're trying to you know keep people's trust to build people's trust back in government, then there's certain things you have to give top priority to. That should be one of them. So. Um, and I, I'd agree that the, the the real victim here is a lack of trust uh, in, in any institution. I mean, I, I would say almost sarcastically that if, if Flint did something right, that would be the news story. I mean, it's almost not news when we, we screw yeah. things up. Uh, it's just yeah. routine. And if, yeah. if the water crisis is not a crisis like COVID is, then we should drop it. Otherwise, but you still won't bring peace because to some people who were affected by the water crisis believe that they were injured and they will never overlook that. They will never forgive government for that. And it would never make government be any more trustworthy. I agree with Jan. The implication of what you just said is that there wasn't really a water crisis. I would like to respond to that because I think there's ample evidence that there was. I believe that. Oh, I believe it. I'm saying for people who think yeah, it's not a water think, crisis, drop this crisis. I, let me let me COVID. let me see if I can I- interpret a little bit uh, for Henry on that, Jan, because it sounded like that to me too. Instead of what what, and and maybe I'm uh, reading too much into this, Henry. You can correct me when I'm done. No, but, go ahead. Go but, ahead. But I, uh, the impression I'm getting when when he used that phrase. Uh, you know, it's not the same uh, as a crisis as the pandemic is. I I, th- I think it's we need to look at crises. The the pandemic was something that just happened to everybody. Yeah. The the and it Flint, wasn't by government policy. That's the part I was going to say is it wasn't man made. Right. Yeah, right. and and I believe that. That's what I'm I'm saying. A crisis is a crisis is a crisis. Well, the other part, I would, to the other, it would, I would no want to interject. Whether you yeah. were specifically physically affected by the Flint water crisis, you were certainly affected by all the stuff that went with it. I mean, our lives were, all of our lives were disrupted here in Flint. Um, and and uh, so even if, you know, even if you didn't have children or little children at the time, our lives were disrupted for a couple years, uh, fairly severely and you know now we have all these all these bumps in the road and and inadequate testing and all this so anyway i don't want to lose track of the point that you were trying to make henry but um yeah but but i'm saying that they were both crises and you can't you can't uh translate one uh into the other they're both equal and when the trust is gone, it takes a yeah. very long time. Yeah, to that's what I'm saying. They're both equal to be crisis, but if you drop one and preference the other, you have lost the context. Yeah, I think we're up first. to we're up to 282 people in Flint who've died of um, COVID in Genesee County. I mean, who've, I mm-hmm. think 282 is the number I saw yesterday. And what are we at? About 4,000 cases, something like that in 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 Genesee County. Hey, Bob, are you with me? I'm with you. Okay, well, this experiment that I tried just lost everybody else. So, uh, Oh, no. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to have to reconnect with uh, with everybody. So, um, geez, Tom, I'm sorry to hear that. I hope I didn't cause a problem for you. No, it's something I've been wanting to try for a while, and and uh, now I know why uh, why I don't do it that way. <laughs> um, I will. Yeah, give us oh, a call. few minutes. And- give us a call back in a little bit, Bob. Thanks. Okay. Bye bye. All right. Bye. And as you can tell, I uh, have a little little issue here. I got to reconnect with uh, all of the uh, people on the uh, panel. So let me see if I can uh, find a little uh, a little filler here while we. Yeah, here we go. This will work. Yeah, here's uh, a little PSA from comedian uh, Bruce Baum while I reestablish contact with the panel. I remember the night Mom was pounding on her drums. She called me to her side. She said, son, you're growing up. Pretty soon you're going to drive. And Daddy heard the commotion and came came in tap dancing, playing his six string. And they both looked at me and they said, son, before you get behind the wheel of a car, you listen to me. If you're texting while you steer, don't drive. If you've been drinking beer, don't drive. If you're talking on the phone, don't drive. If your tires are bald and it's starting to snow, don't drive. If your foot can't reach the pedal, don't drive. If you're wearing no apparel, Took an illegal prescription. Don't try. No one understands your diction. Don't try. Don't speed, don't read, don't breathe, don't tweet, don't shave, don't rave, don't wave, don't eat. And don't put no makeup on or shave. You know you're not supposed to do that. If you gotta do something you're not supposed to do, you can go ahead and step on my blue suede shoes. Ah, go ahead and scuff them up. If you're driving with your knees. I'm going to check and see if uh, if I manage to get everybody back. Uh, Paul, are you there? Yeah, I'm, I'm still here. I, I just heard the that, that I'm here. sound over. Um, yeah, I, I, what happened? Well, I, I tried to do, um, I, I, I tried to bring in a caller on a separate line instead of folding them into the conference call. And I had to um, hang up the conference call in order to take their call. And so that disconnected me from all of you. Um, oh. Just, just well, learn. We were entertained, though. Well, I'm glad. <laughs> just uh, welcome to live radio, folks. Um, anyway, uh, that was uh, Bob who wanted to weigh in on a couple things we were talking about with regard to the uh, uh, water testing. But let me uh, let me do this before we run into a break. I want to squeeze in another story. Uh, Another story because it sort of ties into what we were uh, talking about a little earlier. A candidate for state house of representatives from Fenton is acknowledging a criminal past with convictions for robbery, possession of cocaine, and retail fraud. Brad May, a Democrat seeking to unseat 51st District State Representative Mike um, Mueller, a Republican from Linden, confirmed the convictions Friday. Uh, after the state Republican Party issued a news release blasting the Michigan Education Association for having endorsed him. 
May 51, a substance abuse general mental health clinician at GrowthWorks, Inc. said his most recent criminal activity occurred after the death of his two-and-a-half-year-old daughter. He, He said, I responded to it poorly. I turned to drugs and alcohol, and I struggled greatly. I got clean. May said he's uh, since dedicated his life to helping others facing substance abuse, grief, loss, and recovery. Michigan court records show May was convicted of robbery in a 1987 case, followed by the convictions for possession of uh, cocaine and retail fraud in a 2008 case. Mueller said he was not familiar with the specifics of May's conviction, but criticized the MEA endorsement process. He said, it seems like all they care about is the party, not the person. How much should a person's past influence their candidacy for elective office? I think 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 the information should be out there and and the voters can decide. We learned that in the city council (laughs) with uh, Wantwes Davis and a few others over the years that have and uh, for uh, for that matter, Don Williamson, we've, we've had a history of that here in Flint, and sometimes they've won, sometimes they've lost, and sometimes they've overcome their past. So it depends. I mean, but as long as the voters know, I think it's fair to say let the voters decide. It depends. Yeah, and there's go ahead, the Jane. question of whether you can <laughs> that whole big question of can can anybody learn from their mistakes, and if so, does that make them actually better? than somebody who didn't make those mistakes, you know. Good point, yeah, perhaps. Yeah, Yeah. and uh, there are expected standards when the founders of of this country and the Constitution put that together. They were expecting people to follow at least some standards or principles. You got to rise above the person that's next to you so that you can demonstrate that you, you fit the criteria uh, for the general population of what the law calls for, whatever, whichever one you appeal mm-hmm. to. We, I, I really don't want to vote for a person that has a criminal record as long as uh, this individual did. Because, and I would like to know, if I had known, maybe I could find a way to justify it, but, but uh, if I'm, if I'm, uh, I receive this information uh, suddenly, I'm not likely to be very pleased with it. So I think the American people do have standards, even though we we aspire to standards, even though we never achieve them. We just have to meet the threshold of expectations out there. Yeah, have some expectations of somebody telling us the truth. Let's let's yes. see if we can start there. Uh, well, I, I, I guess uh, as we bump up against break here, I just would interject that, that I think it's probably wise for candidates seeking elective office. If they have those things in their past, they need to make them part of their narrative the way Juan Tez tried to do, uh, former Flint City Councilman. Um, with mm-hmm. a, he had a yeah, he was very conviction. honest about it. And it yeah, was, he it, was it was part of his thing. He said, "I've turned my life around, and I want to try and help Flint turn around." And you know, he made it part of his story. And uh, yeah. maybe maybe that's something uh, that candidates need to think about before they launch their campaign, so that these things don't bubble up during the campaign. I but Jan made a great point there. She says a person can maybe change. Because you see both sides of of the standards that are we're expected to follow. Those of us who have never made the mistakes, we're Greek gods. 
so we are better than everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Ant, no, um, no, we're yeah. going to uh, take a short break. Hello, we'll be right citizen. back. <laughs> Duck here, and every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and Start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. Is a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. The interest of goodwill. The Hoffman Beverage Company feels compelled to make this announcement. It's simply this. All Hoffman flavors have that happy taste, except sarsaparilla. We might as well come right out with it. We haven't quite hit that happy, carefree note in sarsaparilla. Now, please don't misunderstand us. Our Hoffman sarsaparilla is absolutely dependable. It's trustworthy. It's loyal. And many fine, upstanding citizens love it. But it just isn't what we call happy. 
You take our Hoffman orange. It's absolutely rollicking. Our lemon is almost giggly. Our black cherry and black raspberry are so bubbling with happiness, they dance in the glass. They all have natural flavor and famous Hoffman study sparkle. We're sorry about Hoffman sarsaparilla. Why isn't it happy? Well, let me ask you. Could you be happy if your name was... This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Uh, This is Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. And uh, let's see, where did we leave off? Oh, okay, we're moving on to uh, affairs of state. A Michigan judge has ruled that absentee ballots that arrive late in the mail, if postmarked by the day before the November election, must be counted. Court of Claims Judge Cynthia Stevens issued the ruling Friday, allowing ballots delivered up to two weeks after the election to be tallied. She said the COVID-19 Uh, pandemic and uh, documented mail delays make current the deadline of 8 p.m. on election day an um, impermissible restriction for absentee ballots. The ruling applies only to the 2020 general election. We talked about this, uh, or I talked about it a little bit early this morning with uh, Genesee County Clerk um, John Gleason. Uh, He was talking about the the ballots are in now, and and I'll just... uh, uh, kind of revisit what we talked about this morning that uh, uh, people should, if they haven't already received something uh, uh, in terms of a, an application for a ballot, that they should contact their local uh, clerks um, in the various towns and in uh, villages. But um, should postmarked, quote, postmarked by, unquote, be a determining factor on a ballot's qualification to be counted? If it's the law, it should be. If it's the government says. Yeah, I I agree. Yeah, you you can't go above the law. But should it be the law? But why not? If people vote for it and it becomes the law, you can't change it without a process. People want to change things as they go. That's disruptive to a, a democracy and annoying. Would you tell Lindsey Graham that? <laughs> I'll tell Lindsey Graham that. <laughs> I mean, I, I can see if we we have to wait for two weeks for some elections, that could be disruptive to some degree. But yeah, no, I, I would no. ex, I would expect you know we, even with any kind of postal problems, if you mail it the day before the election, I I doubt you're going to have very many things coming in two weeks late, maybe a couple of days. But, well, the military is often accused of that. That's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah. And uh, here, here's my my concern uh, with the cause with this cause um, complications for close elections uh, and the disruption of the recount process. That that you it may take months if you had something like that. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you, my my main worry this year is there's there's so much distrust in many things, including the election process, that I'm afraid that if there's whatever close races there are, mm-hmm. that we're going to see endless litigation about those and distrust on the part of the losers, whoever they are, whether it's a presidential election or somebody running for, you know, county clerk or, or, or township trustees someplace is going to have the same kind of, you know, distrust in the system, unfortunately. Jan, yeah. did I hear you trying to get in there? Well, I was just going to say, I wondered if anybody's been hearing any of the interviews with H.R. McMaster, who's got a new book out. He's been making the circuit 
you know, he was uh, he was uh, Trump's fir- first national security advisor, was he? I think there've been so uh, many of them. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Anyway, uh, he he's basically been that kind of deterioration of trust in the democratic process yeah. is right out of the Russian playbook yeah. of yeah. of, of uh, strategies for you know bringing the country down essentially and. He, he was saying, you know, Putin, as the skilled ex-KGB guy that he is, uh, has known exactly how to play this with Trump. And uh, and it's not, of course, it's not just Trump. I know Henry's going to jump in with that comment. But but um, it, it, it's the, that when, when, the, when the trust breaks down, just like we were talking about before, about Flint's lack of trust in government, um, Everything is sort of like it's sort of like falling dominoes in a way, and it's and it feels really dreadful right now. Well, I agree with you. I don't I don't uh, deny anything that you've said, and it's caused by we the people. There, there are two segments of it that's causing all of this chaos in the country, and we won't um, accept responsibility for the side that we play. You know, here here's a worrisome parallel. Just speaking of Putin. I mean, if you have to ask what brought down the Soviet Union, in the, in the end, it was the lack of trust. People no longer believed in that system. And by the early, late, late 80s, early 90s, all of a sudden things began falling apart. I mean, there were other factors there, obviously, but it was the lack of trust and the whole ideology and the system they had put together for, the, for almost a century. Yeah. I agree. Well, here's, uh, here's yeah. an interesting story. The world's biggest live music company is cranking up the volume on uh, voting efforts with its concert halls across the country silenced by the pandemic. The, uh, let me, where was I? Um, By the pandemic. Live Nation, Live Nation will unveil on Wednesday a set of election season initiatives, including plans to transform many of those venues into polling places in November. Live Nation, which owns Ticketmaster, has teamed with LeBron James's group More Than a Vote, which has successfully enlisted more than 20 sports arenas in a similar campaign. In Detroit, it might mean that Live Nation facilities such as the Fillmore and St. Andrew's Hall become voting destinations this fall. Will this have an impact on younger voter turnout? You can't do that, guys. Voting must take place in a public place or an institution that is associated with government, like schools, like town halls and stuff like that, that are sanctioned by the authorities. You can't just go open that. You have to change the law. We have to play this as we go, if that's what we're doing. But right now, that's illegal. I don't know. I mean, I think we've used churches in the past, and I think we've used some non-governmental buildings here and there. But typically uh, it's governmental buildings, isn't it? True, true. As you say, yeah. schools are common, and governmental it. halls yeah. of one kind or another is true. And you've got to remember, we're a nation of laws, not a people, not a, you know, a sudden dashes in one direction or the other. We're a nation of laws. And we're constantly playing with it all the time, trying to make make it uh, make laws as we go. And we can't do that. Well, let me jump Unless in we here. We've got uh, Bob back. Let me jump in. We've got Bob back on the line. Bob, are you there? I am. 
And, and Bob, you wanted to weigh in on something Jan said about H.R. Uh, McMaster's? Uh, yeah. Jan, when you were saying that H.R. Uh, McMaster has a book out and he's been making comments recently in the press, I haven't heard his comments. I know who he is. I have the, some books that he has uh, previously published. But I, I would argue this, Jan, as, as some of the Flint City Council members have, have rendered the governance process as dysfunctional and distrustful in Flint, I would argue that people like H.R. McMaster, John Bolton et al., are the same kind of people that give distrust and dysfunctionality to the national government. Jan, I truly believe this. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, although I, as I told Tom many years ago, I do believe in conspiracies. All, all you have to do is take a look at the history, beginning with the assassination of Julius Caesar all the way up to 9-11. What I'm saying is this. People like H.R. McMaster and John Bolton and others throughout this entire process for the past four years have given people a reason in this country to be distrustful. And it just, it just didn't start in the past four years. This has been going on since Jack Kennedy, God rest his soul, passed from this earth. That's all I wanted to say in response to Jan. Okay, Bob, oh, thanks thank for the call. Yeah, that's interesting. Thank you, Bob. <laughs> yeah, I, I, hope he, I hope Bob gets to hear some of the interviews with him because they're, I mean, I'm no H.R. McMaster fan, believe me. And, he, and, you know, if they tried to pin him down with anything specific, he was pretty elusive. But, I, I, you know, so he seemed... I mean, he's he's hawking a book for one thing, and um, I so uh, I, I find it interesting that Bob sort of connected him with the John Bolton school of things that didn't has not done us a lot of good either. I don't think um, well, nationally, nationally. One thing, one thing, Jan, that this uh, this administration has been really good for is publishing. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. There have been more. It's almost the, the Donald Trump book club. <laughs> well, we have, well, guys, they have something to say, and they know how to say it. <laughs> but the like, thing, the, That's what books are. The, the point is nearly all of them have been highly critical of, of the, the, the Trump administration and the guy they worked for. Right. I mean, I wanted to know what the rest of you think, uh, Tom, and, and, and you, and, um, you, you, <laughs> Henry and Bob. Henry, do these books do any good? I, I mean, you know, um, Bob Woodward's earlier work brought down Nixon, one might say, but I have the feeling that this book of his, which is maybe the most damning of all, it's just like another thing that's just going. You know, it's not, yeah. it's not changing any minds. It doesn't. Yeah, you're right, Jan. Somebody pointed out that early in the year, before the pandemic, and before impeachment, Trump was at forty-two percent. And then after impeachment, the pandemic, the economic collapse, racial division, and all of this, it's still in the same range. So all of these huge events, and they really are huge events, seem to have had almost no impact on the support or non-support for, for Trump. The numbers hang around in the same range, whatever seems to happen. So, yeah, I mean, there's been an avalanche of these books that come out every couple of weeks, and none of them seem to make much difference. I mean, the the polls seem to reflect the same support or, or non-support for Trump as has been there for the last three years almost. But I think that that depends on how they're written. Written If they're written extremely politically one-sided, they don't change anything. But if they've written with some balance in it, that questions... That, that, uh, that brings information yeah. and not opinion. Yeah, that brings um, information and, so and that people can decide. And hopefully we're going to uh, 
have a lot of information and opinion coming up in the second half of Armchair Politics. We have to break right now for Top of the Hour show ID, but we'll uh, return with our political roundtable after uh, after this short break, and we still have uh, uh, we still got a lot to talk about. So, stay tuned. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 